Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Bruce sent me a note. Says Steve, check out this case, and it's an actual case. So I'm reading to you from the opinion written by the Court of Appeals of Ohio, Sixth Appellate District from Lucas County. They're talking about a case out of Lucas County or Toledo, the city of Toledo, and it shows what happens when a thoughtful court looks at civil asset forfeiture and says, "Huh, I wonder what's going on here." So here's the case. Um, Appellant appeals the judgment of the Toledo Municipal Court, which denied his motion to return his seized property. For the reasons that follow, we reverse. So they're overturning the lower court. The lower court has said the guy does not get his money back. This court says, yes, he does. Facts and procedure. On December 13, 2020, appellant was pulled over for a traffic violation. Subsequent search of his vehicle uncovered $21,456 in cash and some other things like two iPhones. On that day, appellant was charged by criminal complaint in the Toledo Municipal Court uh, with a criminal charge which was later dropped. And that's extremely important here. So they dropped the charges against him, but they hung on to the money and the iPhones. Uh, on January 5th, 2021, the state of Ohio slash city of Toledo entered a NOAA prosecute, which is where they basically say, we're not going to prosecute this guy. We're going to drop the charges. And they dismissed the charge. Three days later, the appellant filed a motion to return the seized cash and the cell phones. Uh, and on February 2nd, 2021, the municipal court judge withdrew the motion, noting on the docket that the money was seized by the federal government. And yet he was pulled over for a traffic violation and the money was seized and the federal government wasn't at the traffic stop. How'd that happen? So on June 23rd, 2021, appellant filed a subject motion to return seized property pursuant to a statute in Ohio which is section 2981.11. There's a couple different sections of the statute we'll be talking about today. I'm not going to get heavily into the numbers because I'm not sure if anybody cares. But he sought to recover the $21,456 in cash and his iPhones. The appellee opposed the motion, arguing the money was seized by a Toledo police sergeant working in his capacity as part of a federal task force. So it turns out the guy's allowed to double dip like that. He can either be a Toledo police sergeant or part of a federal task force. Depends on which hat he's wearing. But not literally, because when he did this, I believe he was dressed up as a Toledo cop. So Appelli argued that it was the federal government that seized the property. And if he wants his money back, he should go sue the feds. So trial court held a hearing on the motion in December of 21. The day before the hearing, Appellant filed a supplemental motion in which he argued that the money had been wrongfully transferred to the federal government in contravention of the code I mentioned to you, Section 14, which says that, now there's a law in Ohio that says, a law enforcement agency or prosecuting authority shall not directly or indirectly transfer or refer any property seized by the agency or authority to any federal law enforcement authority or other federal agency for purposes of forfeiture under federal law unless the value of the seized property exceeds $100,000, excluding the potential value of the sale of contraband, or the property is transferred or referred for federal criminal forfeiture proceedings. So it turns out that they understand that these police departments do occasionally turn stuff over to the feds. And they're saying that you can't do it, just give it to them, unless it exceeds $100,000, or it's being sent over for a federal criminal 
forfeiture proceeding. Those are two ways that that would make sense. At the hearing, the Toledo police sergeant testified. He explained that while he runs the forfeiture unit for the Toledo Police Department, he's also a sworn officer with the Homeland Security Bulk Cash Smuggling Task Force in Northwest Ohio. He testified that in early morning hours of December 13, 2020, he was called to the Toledo Police Safety Building because appellant had been arrested and was in possession of $21,456 in cash. When the officer arrived, he spoke with appellant and advised him he's going to seize the money under state and or federal investigation. That's a quote. He actually testified and said, I told him I'm going to seize the money under state and or federal investigation. As if he didn't know what he was doing. Was he seizing it on behalf of the state or on behalf of the feds? Because or would make sense as a disjunctive there. But when you make it conjunctive and say state and Fed, it makes no sense. You can't, you can't seize the money for two different agencies because only one of them can get it. Or were they going to split it? But he actually says, I told him, under state and or federal investigation. That's an example of somebody using words they don't understand. Because they've heard other people use that phrase, this and or that. <laughs> I am an attorney and or a doctor. That statement's true. So because appellant was extremely agitated, understandably so, at uh, the time, the officer did not have him sign a property receipt. However, the property receipt provided to appellant was from the Toledo Police Department. So who are you seizing the money on behalf of? The Toledo Police Department. How do we know that? That's what the receipt says. Received from this person this amount of money, $21,456. And the receipt's given by the Toledo Police Department. Who has the money? The Toledo Police Department. Who took it? The Toledo Police Department. But this man is an officer and or a federal agent. Does that make a difference? No, it doesn't. No, no. So he counted the money, verified that it was indeed $21,456. He then contacted Homeland Security and informed them that the money had been seized and that the appellant was being charged with a state crime. Those two that is, the officer here and the agent he contacted, discussed the best course of action and concluded the money should be transferred to the Border Patrol. Or later that morning, the money was transferred to the other agent and a custody receipt was prepared. So there's two receipts in the case. The guy gets one handed to him by the Toledo Police Department. And then the agent, who is a police officer and or a federal agent, hands it to a Fed who gives him a receipt for it saying the feds have got the money now because it's transferred to us by Toledo. <sighs> the officer has not had any further interaction with any federal agencies regarding appellant or the money. He testified that at the request of the federal agencies, uh, Toledo elected to drop the charges and dismiss them without prejudice. Following the hearing, the trial court entered its judgment denying this man's motion for the return of the seized money, the trial court concluded that it found no impropriety with the transfer of the $21,000 to the federal government. But even if it did, ordering the city to pay the man $21,000 would create a potential windfall for the defendant as the seized money could still yet be returned to him by the federal government if forfeiture proceedings are not initiated or if he successfully challenges the forfeiture in court. So the court actually said, well, the feds have got your money, and they 
could give it back to you. So if we ordered Toledo to give you back the money, well, that means you could pursue the other money and you'd be double dipping here. That doesn't, that doesn't seem fair, right? Except that the people who took your money should be ordered to give it back to you. Then it would be the city of Toledo's problem to get their money back from the feds. They're the ones that gave it to the feds. Get it back from the feds. That's your fault. Anytime somebody digs a hole and jumps into it, you got to look at them and go, why'd you dig the hole? Get me out of here. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second. Let's figure out why you dug the hole and why you jumped into it. So the city of Toledo gets the money from the guy and they give it away. Now, a court says we can't force them to give it back because the money they gave away could still come back here. And by the way, uh, they don't have the money anymore. Whose fault is that? The court determined that this man's remedy lay with the federal court. So the question on appeal was, did the trial court commit reversible error by denying Mr. Grace's motion to return seized property? And now the court says this case presents a unique fact pattern, at least for them. On appeal, much of the discussion centers on the propriety of the city's transfer of the money to the federal government. However, this issue is only tangentially related to the central question of whether appellant is entitled to have the money returned. We'll start with the basic premise that appellant owns the money. In the absence of a legal justification and due process, the government cannot simply take appellant's money, period. That is one of the greatest sentences I've ever read from an opinion in my life. We will start with a basic premise that appellant owns the money. In the absence of legal justification due process, the government cannot simply take appellant's money. It's the second sentence that I'm thinking is so great, but both of them together work pretty well also. That's, that's this guy's money. You can't just take it. Here it is undisputed that the money was lawfully seized as evidence of a crime, either during a search incident to arrest or an inventory search. So originally they said, we thought we're going to charge the guy with a crime. We thought the money had something to do with the crime. It's evidence. We seized it as that. Okay. The parties, however, dispute whether the money was seized by state or federal authorities. <laughs> well, the man was a police officer and or a federal agent. But remember, they gave him a receipt from the Toledo Police Department. So on that question, when the trial court found no impropriety with the transfer of money to the federal government, it implicitly found that the money was initially seized by the city because if the federal government had seized the money, then there would be no need for a transfer. So they actually said the transfer was fine. They've got the money. But who had it first? You can't say they had it first and that it was later transferred to them. The evidence overwhelmingly supports this conclusion. The money was initially seized by Toledo police officers. No federal officers were involved in the chase or the arrest. Apparently there's a chase involved too. The police sergeant informed appellant that the money was being seized because it was under state and or federal investigation. And, and the Court of Appeals calls out the and or there. <laughs> Dumb. The officer provided appellant with a receipt for the money from the Toledo Police Department. He then consulted with another member of the federal task force and a decision was made to transfer the money to the Border Patrol for potential investigation into a bulk cash smuggling issue, which would be a different crime than what they claim they seized the money for originally. At that point, the money had already been seized and was in the possession of the Toledo Police Department. 
Therefore, we hold that Apelli, not the federal government, initially seized the money as evidence of a crime. The city of Toledo Police Department is who seized the money, no question at all. It is also undisputed that the money is property that could be subject to forfeiture under a statute that I told you about as either proceeds or instrumentalities of a crime. Now, the city has provisional title to money subject to forfeiture upon commission of an offense giving rise to forfeiture. The provisional title is subject to claims of third parties in a final forfeiture adjudication. What they're saying is that if the police sees something as part of an investigation, and they can make a logical argument that it's evidence, for instance, that they have provisional title. Provisional meaning that the title is not absolute to them, but they have the right to take possession and control of it until such time as it gets determined what they're going to do with it. But for the time being, they would have the provisional title. But provisional title also says they've got to take care of it. So the uh, provisional title authorizes the state or political subdivision to seize and hold the property and to act to protect the property. So when they get it in their possession, it's their responsibility. When they give it to the feds, they may have actually violated what they're supposed to be doing there. So they are to protect the property under the section before any proceeding under this chapter. Title to the property vests with the state or political subdivision when the trier of fact renders a final forfeiture verdict or order under the code. But that title is subject to third-party claims adjudicated under those sections. And obviously, this guy here has a good claim to that money. So the city gets it and they give it away. Don't have it anymore. Well, apparently this statute is designed to prevent that from happening. So now you guys may have to answer for that. Any property that has been lost, abandoned, stolen, seized, pursuant to a search warrant, or otherwise lawfully seized or forfeited, and that is in the custody of a law enforcement agency, shall be kept safely by the agency, pending the time it is no longer needed as evidence, and shall be disposed of pursuant to other sections of this code. Breaking this statute down, the statute describes the property to which it applies, how long the property should be kept, and what should be done with the property after that time. Under the first consideration, the statute clearly applies to the money at issue because the money is property that has been otherwise lawfully seized. Okay, so they say, look, they may have seized it originally. Okay, under the second consideration, Apelli must safely keep the money pending the time it is no longer needed as evidence or for another lawful purpose. So they must safely keep the money. Here, they did not demonstrate that the money was still needed as evidence or for another lawful purpose. It is undisputed that appellant has not been charged with a federal crime, nor has he been subject to a federal forfeiture proceeding. In addition, no state felony charges involving the money were pending against him. On the issue of whether the money was still needed as evidence, the record contains the officer's testimony that the money was transferred to the federal government for purposes of a bulk cash smuggling investigation. However, the officer also testified that he had no involvement in that investigation. No other testimony from any federal agents regarding that investigation was presented. 
Furthermore, the officer has not been contacted by the U.S. Attorney's Office to testify in front of a grand jury, to share what he learned on the case, or to even provide the chain of custody of the evidence. He testified that if there was going to be a prosecution, 100% the U.S. Attorney's Office would have contacted him about the chain of custody. As to the state felony charge, the officer testified that the charge was dismissed without prejudice, and there's nothing preventing Appellee from indicting him on felony drug, drug trafficking within the six-year statute of limitations. So they could charge him with a crime. They could. They could. However, he testified the money would still be evidence as part of any potential future indictment. However, as identified by the man in question here, the Toledo Police Department gave away its best piece of evidence in a trafficking case when it transferred the money to the federal government, making the potential of a future state prosecution illusory at best. So they seize the money and they say it's evidence in a case. Then they give it to the feds and go, well, the feds might do something with it. Now they're saying, well, we might actually get it back and use it as evidence, possibly somewhere down the road, because the statute of limitations apparently is six years. Could be a few years there, we might change our minds. And yet this money is floating around out here. It's evidence, supposedly, supposedly. Therefore, we hold that the city has not demonstrated a right under the statute to continue to hold the money as evidence or for another lawful purpose. For the third part of the statute, because the money is no longer needed by the city, property must be disposed of pursuant to the statute, and that applies to property that is unclaimed or forfeited. So then, because the money's not needed as evidence and there are no prosecutions happening, the statute describes what can happen to the money from that point. Obviously, the money has not been forfeited because the state has never initiated any forfeiture proceedings. Neither have the feds. The parties extensively discussed these various statutes in the trial court and on appeal, but the statute does not apply with respect to unclaimed or forfeited money. For purposes of forfeiture under federal law, unless the value exceeds $100,000 or is being transferred for a federal criminal proceeding, that particular statute doesn't apply. And that's the one that the state was relying on. Uh, the money in the case was not transferred to Border Patrol for purposes of forfeiture. Instead, it was transferred for potential investigation into criminal activity. And so there is a formal legal process they could go through, but they didn't do that. Unless and until federal forfeiture proceedings are initiated, the other statute does not grant them the authority to simply transfer evidence to a federal agency for potential investigation and then absolve itself of any responsibility for the seized property. Also, obviously, the money is not unclaimed because the money belongs to the man who brought this action and he seeks to have it returned. And apparently they were arguing, saying, well, he abandoned the property. So in those situations, the statute provides a law enforcement agency with custody of property to be disposed of under that section we just talked about shall make a reasonable effort to locate persons entitled to possession to notify them of when and where it may be claimed and to return the property to them at the earliest possible time. Thus, there is an affirmative duty imposed on the law enforcement agency to ensure that the seized property is returned to the lawful owner without unnecessary delay. And other courts have upheld that. Therefore, because the money has not been forfeited, because it is no longer needed by the city, the money must be returned to appellant at the earliest possible time. Finally, the city argues that it cannot return the money 
because it is in the hands of the federal government. And thus, appellant's remedy is in the federal courts. In reaching the same conclusion, the trial court cited two cases, both of which we find distinguishable. So there were two cases they cited, but the cases do not apply. In both of those cases, the funds were transferred to the federal government and forfeiture proceedings were initiated. Here, in contrast, there are no federal forfeiture proceedings in which appellant can attempt to protect his rights. So the law says if it's already been subject or is in the process of being subjected to a procedure to recover the money in federal court, then you just let that proceed. But that's not happening here. So the city just took the money and said, eh, and gave it to the feds. And the feds just took it and said, eh, just have it. And the city goes, well, we can't give it back because we gave it away. And by the way, that's an argument that many municipalities have used over the years. And it's a, it's a game of hot potato. And the point is that if you were to file an action against the feds, they'd give it to somebody else. They'd give it back to the city. And, and they keep moving it around. And they're trying to wear you down, by the way. So the bottom line is that the city sees the money and gain provisional title. Because their ownership of the money is only provisional, it is required to safely keep it. If they fail to safely keep the money by, for example, transferring it to the feds, then appellee bears the risk of loss when the rightful owner comes to retrieve it. The man who did that has not been convicted of a crime and against whom no forfeiture proceedings have been initiated should not have to participate in a game of three-card Monty to recover his property once it is no longer needed by the city. Therefore, because the $21,456 is no longer needed as evidence or for another lawful purpose, we hold that the trial court erred in denying appellant's motion to return the seized property. We order appellee to return the money at the earliest possible time. So they rule in favor of the guy whose money was taken. We find that substantial justice has not been done, the party complaining, and the judgment of the Toledo Municipal Court is reversed. The matter is remanded to the trial court for further proceedings consistent with this decision. Appellee is ordered to pay the costs of the appeal. So they also dinged the city and made them pay for the appeal and said, you guys caused this to happen. And so this is a fabulous, fabulous result. State of Ohio slash City of Toledo versus Nicholas Grace. Nicholas is N-I-C-K-O-L-A-S. And that opinion just came down uh, within the last week. And it's an amazing, an amazing opinion. Uh, again, it's going to turn largely on the statutes in Ohio on topic. But again, the court came right out and said, we start with the basic premise that appellant owns the money. In the absence of a legal justification, due process, the government cannot simply take appellant's money. And remember that a lot of these cases are set up such that the government takes your money and says, you've got to sue us and prove that the money is innocent. The burden of proof is on the person who lost their money. And here we start with the premise that the person whose money was taken owns the money. And it's actually the first time I've seen that in print so clearly and so well written that, yeah, the person's money was stolen, still their money. Somebody else has got to prove otherwise. And so that's what's fascinating, number one. Fascinating, number two, is the fact that the city got the money, handed it to the feds, and said, yeah, we're cool. We don't have it anymore. Sorry. And the court says, too bad. 
you got to pay the money back. So now, presumably, the city will go to the feds and go, we want that money back. And if the feds won't give the money back, the city's just got to cut a check and go, there you go. It's not the exact same money, but money's fungible. And so there you go. So it's a great result. Uh, I got to thank Bruce for sending it to me. While we were talking, I shuffled these pages around, and now I've lost that because I got to double check to make sure it was, in fact, Bruce who sent that to me. <laughs> yes, it was. So, got to thank Bruce for sending it. It's a great case, a great result. Out of Ohio. Questions or comments, put them below. Those will talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Sometimes we lose the key to happiness, not realizing that the door is always unlocked.